Part 9 of The Boy with the White Hair Written and performed by Nick Thurston Why did you stay? asked Eglos, his body rising and falling in the saddle. Surely your loyalty lies more with your shield brothers than with me. Gotmard's face was hidden beneath a scarf that covered his mouth and nose. All Eglos could see were the older man's eyes. They were gray and sharp, the eyes of a Northman through and through. My loyalty is to Hafnir, said Gotmard, his voice muffled by the fabric. Gotmard was, like most Evenholders, a descendant of the Valimar. He was tall, and his hair had once been very dark. But instead of the hardness Eglas generally associated with those whose bloodlines stretched back to the stone people, Gotmard was a gentle, kind man. It was clear in everything he did, from the way he spoke to the way he handled the reins of his falsha as it plodded along in Doradrun's footsteps. But above him I have a higher loyalty. As Gotmard's falsha fell in behind him again, Eglas could no longer see the older man without craning all the way around. He settled his gaze back on the path ahead. They were riding west from Nust, deeper into the mountains. Behind them, a banner of black smoke rose from the remains of the Suthi. They had burned the inn, speeding the dead on towards the middle world. And as if in a gesture of respect, the moment Eglas and Gotmard set fire to the ancient timbers... The storm had lifted. It showed no sign of returning. I, too, have a higher loyalty, said Eglas. Although, I cannot always say to whom. To this, Gotmard did not reply, and the rest of the day passed in silence. That night, the men came to a series of small valleys hidden away among the mountains. The veils descended, one after the other, each separated from the next by an arm of rocky outcrops thrown down from the peaks. On the ridge above the first valley, they found a level spot protected from the wind by tall, flat-sided boulders. They decided to make their camp. Eglos and Gotmard gathered some dead cedar and built a fire. The firelight reflected off the standing stones and did not reach anything that was beyond them, so that it seemed to be contained within the ring of them as if inside a room. Mountains glistened in the blue moonlight on all sides. Without the wind, the atmosphere was peaceful. Do you hear the voices of the gods? said Gotmard. They say you do. Well, I hear them too. 
My grandmother taught me the way to listen. She learned it from her grandmother. And her grandmother learned it from her grandmother before her. They say the first folk were taught it by the gods themselves in the time before time. Gotmard was looking at the standing stones as he spoke. The firelight had picked out markings on the rock faces, indicating that this place had once been a camp of the first folk. There were spirals and antlered shapes, dancing figures and enigmatic triangular designs. A repeating motif showed what appeared to be a great serpent crawling from stone to stone around the whole of the campsite. I was not born in the mountains, Gotmard continued, but all my life they have been calling me. I heard their voices when I was a young man and followed them north to Oathguard. That is how I came to know Hafnir and to enter his service. Many years ago, when a grave errand was to be done in these very mountains, it was I who was chosen to go. I came here with a heavy heart. My oath of fealty to Hafnir would have bound me to do that which I would never have recovered from. But when the voice on the wind spoke to me and asked me to break my oath, I had the good sense to listen. Gotmard turned to Eglos. His hollow cheeks flickered with shadows. That voice had spoken to me of my higher loyalty, Eglos. Eglos wanted to ask Gotmard about the grave errand which he had been asked to do. But Gotmard's eyes had taken on a mystical cast, as though even now he was channeling some entity outside of himself, and Eglos found he could not interrupt. My people, continued Gotmard, are descendants of the Valimar. No matter how far we have spread, we were born of the mountains, just as the descendants of the Sylvir were born of the woods and meadows. And as those folk must go when they die into the forest, so too must we return to the high places of the land. Gotmard's gaze shifted up and past the ring of firelit stones. There, in the dim background, beyond even the highest peaks of the Halidrake, rose a higher shadow. Though it stood at a great distance, its outline was so vast that it dwarfed all which stood before it. It seemed as if it might even touch the Mother Moon, which hung above it like an enchanted pearl. This was, of course, the mightiest mountain of them all, that mountain which gave birth to every other, and which we know by a different name. It was Valagoth, the All Tree, to which Gotmard's gaze was fixed. The mountains are calling me again, he said, and I must answer. Gotmard said no more. 
When Eglas opened his mouth to ask one of the questions now set burning in his mind, the older man only raised a hand and gently shook his head. Eglas contented himself with the knowledge that he would have time to ask Gotmard all he wanted in the morning. There was no more food, and so no dinner to prepare. Instead, Gotmard took out his pipe and packed it with what remained of his pipe toke. It was a lowlander habit, the pipe. But when Gotmard offered it to Eglas, Eglas accepted, and the two of them sat together, watching thin trails of blue smoke rise and disappear into the night sky until the toke, too, was gone. That night, Eglas had a dream in which a woman with cold, white hands buried him beneath a great mound of earth. In the morning, Gotmard was gone. Alone, Eglas went on. At this point, he had only the voices of stone and snow to guide him. But these were the voices his father, the Vilgard, had taught him to follow. He trusted them more than reason. As he rode, Eglas allowed himself to fall into a trance-like state, listening with his whole body. He let Doradrun take the easiest way, directing him only when some whisper arose at the edge of his consciousness. He went down into the chain of valleys, descending from one to the next until he came to the last of them. It was bowl-shaped and had no obvious exit. A crown of icy white peaks surrounded it on all sides. At the bottom, though they were far above the timberline, there stood a deep, dark wood. As Eglas stood on the ridge above the vale, he saw streamlets of white mist pouring down from the mountainsides, disappearing among the tree trunks. All the cold in the world seemed to flow into this place. There, the voices said to him. There. He entered the valley and went into the woods. The shadows lay long among the trees, and the silence was immense. Frost stood out everywhere like a crystal veil. The breath of horse and man smoked in the frozen air. As he went along, Eglas began to see humanoid shapes slouched among the trees. The young hunter steered well clear of them. He did not wish to see what had happened to those who had come here before him. Presently, Eglas came to a clearing in the woods. A beam of bluish light pierced the canopy, It fell upon a figure, sprawled on the ground, half covered with snow, and made it sparkle. This time, Eglas approached. It was Gotmard's body. Eglas steadied his breathing, stiffened his spine, and strung his bow. As Eglas looked around the clearing, 
he saw signs of battle. Some of the trees bore deep chips and rents in their bark. There were streaks of crimson on the snow. Gotmard's sword had been drawn. It lay glimmering beside his right hand. But in Gotmard's other hand, there was something else. Eglos bent closer and shifted some of the snow away. It was a blackened pine cob. Eglos looked around the clearing. The trees were mostly brooding spruce and gray-barked birch, but here and there were also a handful of witch pines. For some reason, Gotmard had torn the cob from one of these. Had he come to this place at night and needed its light to see? As Eglas was pondering this, a sound came from the forest. It was a low hiss, like ice crystals blown across the tundra. Doradrun stood bolt upright, his ears pricked. A chill descended, so cold that it pierced Eglas's enchanted yoki and sank deep into the heavy furs he wore beneath. It went all the way to his bones. The beast had come. Eglas went to Doradrun's side. In the language of horses, he told the Falsha to wait for him at the edge of the forest. If he did not return by dawn the next day, Doradrun was to bring the news of his death to Oathguard. Pressing his forehead against that of his mount, Eglas said goodbye, and the magnificent beast turned and departed into the trees. Now alone, Eglas climbed into one of the low-branched witch pines, settled himself in a crook, and drew an arrow from his quiver. It was no ordinary arrow. Its shaft was of ash, fairly fallen, from a tree inscribed as a sapling with runes of truth and speed. Its head was wrought of sky iron, got from the footsteps of Malagorn in Isidromir. The three feathers of its fletching were from the wings of an emerald pheasant, which had been trained to fly home even from across the sea. Eglos knocked the arrow and waited. Time went by. The shadows thickened, and the cold seeped deep into Eglos's limbs. He made himself as still as a piece of stone. Just as he felt as if his cramping legs would not allow him to remain in his position any longer, he heard a sound. It was as faint as a feather brushed against a grass blade. Eglos, all his senses straining, leaned forward and peered into the shadows. He blinked the crystals away from his frozen eyelashes. Where had it come from? He could see nothing among the blue trunks and twisted branches. At some point while he'd been waiting, a long shadow had fallen over one half of the clearing. Now, Eglos gazed into it, 
for his hunter's instinct told him that something was moving there. He crept forward along his branch, slow as moss. Still, he saw nothing inside the shadow. Yet his sixth sense cried out that something was there. Taking a deep breath, Eglos drew his bow. He did it with utmost deliberation to avoid giving himself away. This took every ounce of his strength, so that by time his fingers touched his cheek, they were trembling from the strain. But what was he aiming at? With a superhuman effort, he silenced his mind and listened. The whisper of wind. The fall of a pine needle. Then... Shoot. Eglos let the arrow fly. There was a shriek of pain and a bellowing roar of fury that seemed to go on and on. All of a sudden, Eglos was thrown from the tree limb. He fell, crashing down through the branches, and landed on his back in the snow. The wind was knocked out of him. He rolled, gasping for air, as broken branches and bundles of needles fell about him like rain. Struggling to his knees, he reached for his quiver. Only three arrows remained. The rest of them had been scattered in the fall. Knocking one to his bowstring, he cast about wildly, looking for the Shivana. He could see nothing. Yet he felt a sense of movement, as though a great weight were passing about him. He rose to his feet and spun, but no sooner had he turned than a wave of dizziness hit him. He blinked, struggling to focus. Something was wrong with the air. It seemed to ripple and shimmer as if it were water and something was moving beneath the surface. Recovering his senses, Eglos pointed the arrowhead at the center of the mass of flowing air and shot. But he had hesitated for too long. At the moment he released the bowstring, something hit him in the chest. It was like being smashed with an enormous, clawed anvil. The blow flung him off his feet and sent him sailing across the clearing. He struck a trunk on the opposite side and fell into freezing snow. This time, something had broken within Eglos's body. The pain of it nearly blinded him. And that was not all. Blood poured from the openings of his yoki and soaked his furs. The wound given to him by the Kodruth had reopened. Still, Eglos tried to stand. But before he could rise to his feet, a tremendous weight slammed down on his chest, forcing him into the snowy ground. A pair of cat-like eyes snapped open above him. They glowed with a ghostly luminescence that was both light and no light, like the trace a lightning strike burns into the night sky after it has faded. For the first time, Eglos began to understand how big the creature was. Unable to fill his lungs, he struggled against the weight on his chest. 
but the beast had him pinned to the ground as easily as if he were a plaything. Its frozen breath washed over his face. Hoarfrost rippled across his skin. His vision blackened. He prepared to meet his end. But just as Eglos was about to lose consciousness, a thumping sound came from the woods. He turned his head to see a dark shape barreling towards them through the trees. Could it be? With a ferocious whinny, Yorodrun leapt into the clearing and crashed with both front hooves into the flanks of the invisible Shivara. The weight disappeared from Eglos's chest. He rolled to his side, sputtering and gasping. The ground shook beneath him as Doradrun and the Kundu fought in the center of the clearing. Again and again, the Falsha rose up on its hind legs, slashing and hammering with the sharp outer edges of its hooves. Roars of rage and pain split the air, and blood rained upon the snow. Yet it seemed as if the Falsha fought against nothing. For though they were no more than a dozen feet from him, Eglos could not make out the form of the Shivara at all. He saw only a thin shadow whose outline shifted and blurred with blinding speed. Eglos staggered to his feet and knocked another arrow. He had two left now. Snow flew this way and that as the beasts struggled against one another. Peering into the whirlwind, Eglos caught a flash of ghost-lit eyes. He shot his arrow. To his dismay, it darted straight through the clearing and stuck quivering in a tree trunk on the opposite side. In the next moment, Doradrun screamed. Kundu had him by the throat. Blood splashed across the snow. It landed on the frozen body of Gotmard. Realization entered Eglas's mind all at once, like sunlight led into a darkened room. He knew what must be done. Before the Kundu could turn its attention from the dying Falsha, Eglas stumbled across the clearing towards the tree he'd fallen from. Among its lower limbs, he sought out a crusty pine cob. He drew the falchion he carried at his side and hacked the cob off, with a length of branch still attached. As Doradrun made his last stuttering cry, Eglos struck the cob hard against the trunk of the witch pine. The cob burst to life in white-yellow flame, and he cast it into the center of the clearing. All of a sudden, the form of the monster became clear. Eglos gasped. Even in his imagination, it had not been this big. The Kundu was as wide as a trio of draft horses, stood shoulder to shoulder, and as long as four from nose to tail. Its six legs, which seemed to flow as it moved, lifted its head to twice the height of a man's. But most astonishing was its coat. It was like something from another world, whitish-gray, glossy with rime, and covered with shifting, cloud-like blotches of darker fur. 
These clouds moved slowly around its body, like god's mists traveling across the night sky. Even by the light of the cob, the creature's form was semi-transparent. Slowly, the shadow panther turned to face him. It seemed to understand that it had been revealed. Its featureless eyes flared, and a low, clicking rumble came from its throat. Eglos drew the last arrow from his quiver and laid it upon the bow. The kundu lowered itself to the ground. Its serpentine spine undulated, following every motion of its head. It flattened its ears along its skull and drew its lips back to reveal a mouth full of blood-streaked fangs. Eglos shot. The arrow leapt from the bow and buried itself deep in the Shivara's flesh, striking just beside the neck. In the same moment, the Shivara pounced. Its body uncoiled, forming an arc as it sprang across the clearing. Each of its four back legs tucked tight against its body, and claws like hooked knives sprouted from its front paws. Then it froze. The light in its baleful eyes blinked. A spasm shuddered along its body, and down it crashed with a thump that shook the ground. It shuddered once and was still. The kundu was dead. The arrow had pierced its heart. Eglos stumbled across the clearing to where the creature lay. Kneeling beside it, he placed his hands upon its vast ribcage. He turned his face to the sky, from which flecks of snow were still falling. <sighs> Blessed Sirn, Eglos began. Heart of winter, hard mother of spring, forgive me for taking the life of this creature that was your child. Its flesh I sacrifice to you. Its bones I give to you, Halma, Earth Mother, that it be unencumbered by them in crossing the Versi. Its life force I give to you, Great Yolta, that you may fix it forever in the sky and give it a place among the stars in Ios. And its blood I offer... I... Eglos collapsed to the ground. He heaved a broken sigh from his broken lungs. It was done. His quest had been completed. The great Shivara Kundu had been defeated. Now he could finally rest. His eyelids felt heavy. He worked himself into a comfortable position where his chest didn't hurt so much and lay still. The snow swirled down into the little clearing. He watched it fall, silent and slow, upon the body of his beloved Falsha and upon his own boots as if they were miles and miles away. A vague sense of movement drew Eglos's gaze up again. 
by the light of the pine cob, still burning, he saw something very strange. He frowned and blinked, but the image did not disappear. A figure, pale and shining, was approaching him from between the trees. (laughs) 